And what Elon Musk, for example, is doing now with Twitter is he's, you know, he, he he's showing Silicon Valley what's really going on. He's telling them, hey, Mike, this company has double the headcount that I need. I need to cut this headcount by half and I can still be as efficient and actually turn a profit. We have for too long allowed companies to just grow, hire more, get new VC money and continue to lose money. And that is over. And you're going to see a lot of firings. You're going to see companies going bankrupt because they can't get access to new funding or they will need to really dilute shareholders. And we will see a lot of over leveraged housing uh, going uh, to have a problem. And this is all coming in the next six to eight months. The real, the real recession is starting now. The, what you saw Elon Musk doing, that's the, he, he rang the bell. That the end of the ZERP era, the end of overhiring, growing just for growing sake, it's over. Welcome to another RTD interview. Today, I'm excited to have returning guest, Mr. Lior Gantz, the editor and founder of Wealth Research Group. And today, Lior has joined us to share his thoughts on economic conditions today, as well as possible forecasts heading into 2023, as well as ways of navigating these choppy markets. So, Lior, welcome back to RTD interviews. Thank you. Appreciate you taking time, man, to join me. As always, it's good to connect with you and get your thoughts and ideas as to what's going on and try to navigate the days ahead and see well how people can basically protect themselves as well as prosper in these times. So uh, before we move forward, I'd like to always start off by just basically asking you, you know, we got about 40 days or so left in 2022. You know, what are you keeping an eye on and what should our viewers also be keeping an eye on as well? Um, I think that uh, what we are, what we really need to focus on is uh, how problematic is the housing market. So keep uh, looking at the weekly data on sales, sales price, um, and, and if you want to really dig in, call some realtors in your local area or in hot markets, even if you live uh, not in uh, Phoenix, Arizona, something like that, call some agents, see the vibe. Tell them you're, in, you're shopping for, for homes and see what's going on. You need to know exactly how, um, how much of a stalemate there is in the housing sector. I, I, you know, the, the one thing people... Um, need to make sure that they remember is that 76% of America's millionaires have come from real estate, including a foreign president. Um, so that's that's the real key driver of the middle class and, and uh, of the real economy. Uh, secondly, I think that people should uh, definitely uh, pay attention to what's going on in China in terms of uh, relaxing the zero COVID policies. Uh, as we head into winter, they're going to have a wave of, of COVID patients. We need to see how they treat um, these patients, do they close down cities again, ports, neighborhoods? What do they do? It will impact supply chains. Third, we need to watch uh, what's going on in when Russia and the Ukraine is it intensifying or actually is it coming to some sort of a winter uh, sabbatical in, in the fighting? Um, that's the third thing. And I think the fourth thing is the CPI numbers that will come in early December and then right after uh, the Fed. Now, with the Fed, I, first of all, with CPI numbers, uh, we need to see that there's a trend in motion because we had encouraging data uh, between September and October with the November numbers. And now we want to see that, hey, th this is a real trend. This is not just 
yo-yoing up and down. Um, and if 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 it's a trend, great. If it's not, then what will the Fed say a few days after? Because the Fed meeting is going to be a few days after uh, the CPI report. So these four key things is what you really should be uh, paying attention to. Housing, China, um, CPI, uh, and the Fed right after. And I think that that uh, these are critical things to, to, to really understand about how uh, the rest of the, these 40 days uh, are going to be in, obviously, into 2023. All right. Good point there. Now, one of the things you hinted on first off was the housing situation. And, and Russia, Ukraine. Sorry. Right. No problem. Yeah. So one of the things you hinted that you start off with was the housing situation. And based upon a lot of other indicators, I'm curious to get your thoughts on just the recessionary narrative. And so, of course, all, you know, all around the U.S., the EU, even the Bank of England said that they're you know entering into a recession. But here in the U.S., everything is apparently strong, according to the figures we're being given here. So based upon current CPI trajectory heading downward will the fed stay the course do you think you know if they continue to if we get another surprisingly uh low cpi figure will they stay the course and and, and by them admitting that they're considering a 50 point basis hike rather than 75 is that them pivoting or acknowledging a slowdown or what in your opinion so so one thing um if you keep on your browser two tabs open uh, and just watch them one time a day, uh, it would be the DXY index. You need to see how strong the dollar is. Um, you want to see it uh, dipping below 100. That will tell you that conditions are changing in the market um, to, uh, uh, and becoming better. Um, that's one thing. Secondly, you need to to watch the what, what's called the CME Fed Watch Tool. And that tells you how much uh, the market is pricing in for rate hikes for the next uh, meeting. So right now, there's an 85% chance on the CME uh, Fed watch tool of a 50 basis point rate hike. So the, the question is not whether or not the Fed will raise by 50 basis point. It, it 85%, that, that's what will happen. What we need to see is, one, the CPI numbers that come five days before the Fed announcement, and two, how the Fed will uh, react to those CPI numbers in terms of just the language. They're probably going to raise 50, 50 basis point no matter what. It's just the language that we care about. Um, I think that they will stay the course because uh, there are real problems with inflation, They're serious problems, not problems that just evaporate and go away. This is not a transitory little issue uh, that we have encountered. We, we have encountered a real generational disruptive force with inflation. Um, and the way I can tell you this is, is just let's, I'll give you an analogy of like the last 14 years. Imagine a couple of parents. The parents are not uh, strict with, with the kid. And the kid is, uh, you know, he's he's making some uh, mistakes, but the, the parents are not uh, trying to tell him and discipline him or explain to him uh, what he should do better. So he just keeps on making mistakes. But, you know, the parents are there and they they help him along. So he doesn't understand the risk of what he's doing. And at some point he makes a huge mistake. And not only does he fall and have a huge accident, but he takes both of his parents with him. And they didn't, then the parents start to fix things up. And this was 2008. You had reckless parents, the Fed and the government, and you had a reckless kid, which is the, the, uh, the homeowners who took excessive leverage, no, you know, without having a job or income, et cetera. And you had the banking system that was, uh, uh, 
facilitating this whole thing by securitizing the loans and dumping them to somebody else. Then, because the parents saw that the kid was in such big distress that he, they might even lose him, they put everything into saving him. Everything. They, they, you know, any savings that they may have, they threw at his health so he can become better again. And sure, sure enough, he started to recover. Slowly, slowly, this kid starts to recover until such point as he's healthy. But even as he's healthy, because they were so traumatic, the parents, they kept spoiling him and spoiling him and spoiling him and spoiling him and spoiling him until there was a real problem. And he looked at them and said, hey, real problem. Solve it for me. This was 2020. So they solved it again by by showering him with all of the measures that they can uh, do. And he started to feel like he's invincible. So he acted differently than in the last 10 years. In the last in the 10 years that came before that, he was cautious because he saw what happened to him in 2008. He saw that, hey, things can happen to me if I take uh, huge risks. But 2020 almost made him feel invincible. So the parents saw that this kid is doing whatever he wants. And the dad told the mom, hey, start disciplining him. And the kid was like, ah, mom, I don't buy it. And then the dad came and rained down on this kid. And now this kid is grounded and he can't believe it. So he's still acting up in the room. And that's where the economy is. People still do not believe that the parents or the Fed are going to do austerity measures and keep uh, being the bad, you know, the, the bad cop. Uh, but they, they will be because this kid is in real trouble. And if he doesn't fix and realize his mistakes, then he will keep overspending and companies in the real world will keep overhiring. And, uh, and we will see more inflation and more systemic issues. And what Elon Musk, for example, is doing now with Twitter is he's, you know, he, he's showing Silicon Valley what's really going on. He's telling them, hey, Mike, this company has double the headcount that I need. I need to cut this headcount by half and I can still be as efficient and wake and actually turn a profit. We have for too long allowed companies to just grow, hire more, get new VC money and continue to lose money. And that is over. And you're going to see a lot of firings. You're going to see companies go bankrupt because they can't get access to new funding or they will need to really dilute shareholders. And we will see a lot of over leveraged housing uh, going uh, to have a problem. And this is all coming in the next six to eight months. Mm -hmm. The real the real recession is starting now that what you saw Elon Musk doing, that's the he, he rang the bell. That's all, the, the end of the ZERP era. The end of overhiring, growing just for growing sake, it's over. Now it's about efficiency. Now this kid that I hired that did a degree in a in 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 a subject that nobody needs and was slacking around and making a killing in Silicon Valley. Now that kid is going home. He needs to find real world talent and come back and be efficient. I can tell you, like uh, my own brother who works in tech. When you ask him like what he does, his mind is, I oversee 20 people. That is the mind is like, the more people I oversee, that means what I do. And the new narrative on, on Silicon Valley is, 
I run a very lean, mean, tight machine of three people and very efficient. You know what I mean? Like instead of going to the CEO and say, hey, my department needs to hire, we need to expand. They will go to the CEO and say, hey, these 10 people, we don't need them. We can be just as efficient without them. So all of this excesses, you're going to start uh, to see going through the system. And that's when the economy is going to get efficient again. And that's when inflation is going to start really loosening and coming down. And we are seeing that behavioral change uh, already. Amazon, Google, et cetera. Now Twitter. Uh, Twitter is just, you know, it makes a big splash in the media. But um, uh, what I'm trying to tell you is we've had exotic excesses. That Those will be the board apes and the, the Rolexes and all that kind of stuff. That's over. Then we had the specs and all these non-profitable tech companies going down 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80, 90% going bust. Then we had um, big tech acknowledging this. Now the last issue is um, the jobs and the housing. And once that's over, then we will really feel, or the middle class will really feel a recession. Because the recession of 2022 has been a recession in the stock market. Mm-hmm. It's It's been a recession for Wall Street, not for Main Street. Now Main Street is going to start feeling it. And that's when the Fed has done what it needed to do, which is to tell that kid, boy, you have been running wild. Now we're going to teach you a lesson and you're going to come back better than ever. And and that's basically what I feel like is going to happen in the next six to eight months. We're going to really feel the pain. And then towards the June meeting, I think that's when they'll pause. Uh, the rate hikes. I don't think the rate hikes, uh, honestly, the rate, um, the interest rate cycles ever uh, in the next three, four years is ever going to be meaningfully cut. They may just cut a little here and there, but I think that uh, the inflation boogeyman is out of the, of the closet and it's going to stay there. Uh, we're going to have hot CPI reports that come you know, frequently, 5%, 6%. It's not going back to 3 or the two for a very long time. Wow. So that's where I think we are. And I think this is this, November, December, and January till June is when you really feel the pain uh, as, as Main Street. Uh, Wall Street, I think the, it's gonna be bad, but Main Street is where I, f- I feel like the real pain is gonna be in jobs and in, in the stuff that politicians care about and in, in the stuff that makes real classical recessions. Right. Now, let me get your thoughts on, you know, you, you gave the analogy of the parent basically cracking down on their child. Now, put that same scenario. The child is our government and the parents are the Federal Reserve and borrowing okay. costs. Borrowing costs are going through okay. as the Fed raised interest rates. So we're 31 trillion now compared to was a 10 back when the first mm-hmm. you know situation happened. Great financial crises. Now, being able to service debt costs for our government and on top of all the fiscal things that's coming, we have a news. The midterms is over with now. So we got a, a Republican House and Democratic Senate. So it's going to be a lot of riffraff there. Debt ceiling is always going to be there as if that matters. So what will our United States government have to do to adjust to these new times as well? Because it's not going to be smooth selling for them, being able to just borrow at zero cost, you know, especially with interest rate going up. Will that be a yeah. problem at some point? Uh, it will be. Uh, probably uh, probably my hair would be like your hair. Um <laughs> for us to fill a real problem, okay? So, yeah, we have a problem. Uh, $31 trillion is unsustainable, but um, we are playing the relative game. 
In other words, the United States has a currency that competes with other currencies. And when you look at these other currencies, they're way worse. And their governments are in far worse situations. I, I'm not talking about Singapore. I'm talking about you know developed countries that are huge. China, Japan, Germany. You know, those are the real competitors to the United States, India, uh, and Brazil. I mean, would, what would you rather hold, the dollar or the, the real? Or something, right. <laughs> right. So when we play that relative game, uh, the United States is relatively uh, by far the best uh, economy with the best currency. Um, now, relatively to uh, gold, in my opinion, it, it, it it's not the best. So I choose to save uh, a lot of uh, my purchase power in, in, in gold and not in uh, the dollar. Okay, so that's one thing. Uh, with regards to real-world uh, consequences, I think, yes, when you have um, interest rates as high, as high as they are, this becomes a political thing. And I think the 24, 24 elections will be a lot about uh, fiscal responsibility, and the candidates will have to talk about how they um, how they bring this uh, – financial house in order. So there, there will be a lot of that in, in the politics uh, for, for for the next few years. I think that once interest rates do come down towards the threes or the twos, maybe you know towards 2027, 2028, 2029, they're going to do, uh, uh, I think they're going to use the opportunity to, to take out 50-year or 100-year bonds with very low interest rates. That's probably what's coming in America. Um, so I, I think they need to refinance this, uh, anything that's of high interest rates, high being four or five um, to, to the lower twos uh, when they can. And I think that, the, that they will. The Treasury Department will definitely issue a bundle uh, once interest rates come down again for a 50-year duration or 100-year duration, and they will have no problem doing that. Um, in, in general, uh, the extremists that spend too much, um, I think it, you know, when the history books are written, uh, Joe Manchin, for example, should be credited with saving the United States from hyperinflation problem. And when I say hyperinflation, I mean, uh, you know, CPI is like eight, but it's not really eight. It's way more. So I think, you know, without him, you know, calling uh, these things out and stopping some of them, uh, you could have had 25, 30 percent inflation in America. Uh, we we were on the way there. People were spending like crazy, uh, like there's no consequences. Overspending, uh, it, it's it was a huge mess, and the Fed didn't understand the societal changes. It thought it had just to do with with supply chains. It couldn't it couldn't really see that people felt invincible, uh, but they did, and um and and, and companies were hiring. Like there's no tomorrow. Nobody was was putting cash aside, and it was all based on this in, uh, zero interest rates. Now for years there was zero interest rates, and, and companies still were responsible, and they still refused to borrow because they were all traumatized from 2008. As we got away from that and and, and went into this uh, era where a lot of people just maybe were not in a high-ranking position in 2008, they didn't feel the the trauma. They didn't understand that uh, there's a downside risk here. And uh, that's where I think we are. Now, as we draw towards the end, I'm curious to get your thoughts on gold and silver. And so amongst all the chaos uh, in reference to debt, as well as the pain in the main street, 
Uh, and of course, keep an eye on the Dixie, as you mentioned, where does gold and silver fit into this heading into 2023? Will, will it be a breakout year or will there be some type of diversion from those actual markets actually, you know, benefiting from the inflation? Uh, I think gold and silver, uh, and by the way, uh, you know, I, I put out uh, a couple of nice reports for your for your viewers on these things. If you want to check them out, one is uh, actually three. One is wealthresearchgroup.com forward slash fake, which is uh, about the dollar being a fake haven instead of a safe haven in 2022. The second one is uh, wealthresearchgroup.com forward slash out, and that's about a fake out, uh, which I think that uh, stocks rallied on the CPI report, and I think it was a fake out because the CPI problem is not over yet. So don't think it's a real trend. Uh, inflation isn't really cooling that much. And the third one is called wealthresearchgroup.com forward slash Paul, as in Paul Singer. And if you don't know who this guy is, you should definitely read that re report because he's a titan hedge fund manager, a billionaire. And he's saying the threat of hyper hyperinflation has never been greater in America. And, and he goes through all these reasons. Check out those three reports. I think it's uh, a great weekend uh, read. Okay, so what do I think about uh, the next uh, year. I think 2023, as I said, is a pivotal year for uh, the Fed because I think in, in the first six to eight months here, so starting now and into the June meeting, I think the markets are going to really sense that we are entering a real recession. And as a real, rece a real recession, when I say real recession, uh, I, I mean that a lot of people are going to lose their jobs. That's what I mean by a real recession. Okay, um, so because I know the common section is getting like, of course we were already in a real recession because we had two consecutive GDP contracting. Yes, I know. What I mean is jobs are going to uh, are people are going to lose jobs. That's what I mean. Okay, so as this happens, um, I I think that bond yields will start to come down as. Uh, investors flock to bonds as a safe haven. So that's, I think, the, the first part of the year. The first half of the year, stocks do nothing, maybe even uh, go down by another 10 to 15% for, for the NASDAQ, uh, like a, a very bad a very bad first half of the year for stocks and bonds uh, uh, being the bid. And that's uh, good for, for gold and silver. Bonds coming down. Bond yields coming down, inflation is staying up. That means the, the negative yields in the economy are real. Uh, that could be uh, almost a remake of 2016. That's what we saw in 2016. We saw the markets coming down, bond yields coming down, gold and silver shoot up. I think that as we go into the second half of the year, um, which is where I think the Fed will uh, actually pause interest rates um, uh, towards June, I think that that's when you're going to start seeing the bottom in, in the stock market. And the, the a renewed um, a, a renewed uptrend. I don't know if it's going to be a fierce bull market. I think it's almost going to be like a very quiet bull market um, for at least for the next at least for the first year of it. So between twenty twenty three and twenty twenty four, I think it's it's mostly going to be churning, um, and that's again good for gold because if stocks are doing nothing and if bond yields are still down. That is great for gold and silver. So I like actually silver more than gold because I think that the dollar 
has a chance of collapsing um, in, uh, at about a 20 to 25 percent clip in the next four or five years. I think that it goes from 105 where it is right now on the DXY to run towards the 80. And that is why I think silver is actually going to perform much better than gold. Silver can actually uh, get to the 50 uh, in the next four or five years. Whereas gold, I see it as an asset that can probably um, less than double in the in the next four or five years, go towards the 2,500 to the 3,000. So I'm far more bullish on, on silver. Um, I do think that the next six months are going to be far worse for silver because it's going to, uh, in a recession, silver is going to perform less, uh, uh, far less better than uh, uh, than gold. Mm-hmm. But as we head into the second half of the year, where the Fe- the Fed is going to pause, that's when I think that silver starts to shoot up. Uh, so if the June meeting does ha- end up being pivotal for the rate high cycle and they pause, I think that's the time to to really consider your game plan with, when it comes to silver, silver options, silver ETFs, silver miners, leverage, silver ETFs, et cetera. That's when I think the risk reward is the best for silver. Sounds good. Well, Lee Gantz, as always, it's good to uh, get your analysis and thoughts on where we're at and where we're headed. And definitely uh, that should be very promising for a lot of the silver people as well as gold bugs out there and heading into the end of next year, given things play out the way that you described it. So just more encouragement for people to continue to stack and hold on and just uh, keep their eyes attentive to the things you laid out for us. So once again, thank you for joining us RT Interviews. Point people back to where they can find out more uh, about what you do. Wealthresearchgroup.com is the website. You can subscribe to the free newsletter on the homepage. We uh, publish Sunday, Tuesday, and Thursday. Sounds good. Once again, Lior, thanks for joining us on RTD Interviews. Thank you, sir.